Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you again for the invitation, the offering to opportunity to be here. It's really good. I appreciate that. I was here last year actually with Paul Scanlon and just uh, caught up with some of you then and it's uh, just good to be back. This is, I've finished my role in, uh, in four months' time, been doing that for 10 years and I turn uh, 67 and uh, I know that's young and it was good to hear that the golden oldies are winning Blocktober. That's just, uh, that's what I think. So, so yeah, yeah, mottled applause, that's good. So, um, so it's, uh, it's great to be here and I really appreciate it. And I want to say welcome back to the team who've been to the Philippines and I know you've had a, you would have had a great time over there. Just see the impact that it has. Uh, healthcare, food security, education, clean water, and the link in with the local church where people get to hear the good news of Jesus and respond. Um, that's what we call holistic child development. So it's, it's great to be here to do that. And I love coming back to South Australia. I, was, I grew up in South Australia. I came out as a 10-pound pom when I was nine years of age, born in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and came back. In fact, this weekend's a special weekend uh, in, in, in many ways, but one of those is that Yesterday I went to the 50th reunion of my year 12 year uh, at Elizabeth High School. And when you grow up in Elizabeth, you know you've grown up. And, and uh, so it's, uh, it was the 50th anniversary. So um, the, I, I should say it's the 50th anniversary of my first year in year 12 because I did it twice. Um, I wouldn't recommend it, but I did do it twice. And so I might be back for another 50th anniversary next year. I'm not sure, but... School and reunions are fascinating. Um, it's amazing how the stories get exaggerated over the years. I, I caught up with a whole bunch of people who I you know, played football with and cricket with. and I was in a group yesterday and a guy came up to me. He had a few ales, I've got to tell you. But he came up to me and patted me on the back and said, congratulations on kicking 100 goals that season. And I thought back and I know the season he's talking about. I kicked about 45. And... Uh, but he said, congratulations on 100 goals. So I didn't correct him. I, uh, I just thought, uh, I'm not going to burst your bubble. That's cool. And you've boosted my bubble, so that's fine. We, we both had a win, so that's great. You guys are doing a great job and uh, impacting the lives of not just the children, but the wider families. And that makes a huge difference in, in, in the lives of, of people. I think there's a little video that we're... Somebody planned to give you that. Somebody giving you that. That's right. Um, just to... Um, Josh before talked about the importance of meeting with the uh, oh, Matt actually, Mark actually talked about the importance of meeting with um, the, the uh, um, alumni, the people who graduated from programs. This is in the Philippines, this is the story of just one. I think it's Hunus's story and if it is you'll just see the impact that it has. So I'll come back in a couple of minutes and uh, just take a look. We moved to this place after my father lost his job. I live here with my family, my mom and dad, and all my brothers. I am the only daughter. Our home is built over a very dirty river. And when the storms happen, our home floods with water and garbage. This is a scary place when it gets dark. People get drunk and fight all the time. Ang 
sponsor ko po si Arlie and Nancy. Even though I live in this place, I have been sponsored by Arlie and Nancy. I call them mom and dad. Mom and dad. Although we are countries apart, I know they chose me. They tell me, Eunice, we remember you. We love you. You are like our own daughter. Because of my sponsors, I had the opportunity to go to the Compassion Program at the church in my neighborhood. For all these years, my sponsors and my church have helped me to receive better food and medicine. With the help of my sponsors, I will be able to work to help my own family. When I was nine, my Compassion teacher shared Jesus with us, and that's when I accepted Christ. Even though I am poor, He has provided my church. He gave me sponsors who love me. God will never leave us. I want to share everything I have learned with kids who are like me. I want them to feel the joy of having a sponsor, to get a letter that says, I love you. You are special to me. With the help of our sponsors, we can grow up and finish our studies and learn how to live our faith in Jesus. I want to serve the Lord and I won't stop serving Him because He does not stop loving me. There are children around the world waiting, waiting for a sponsor like you. Release a child from poverty in Jesus' name. That's just uh, one story and uh, in the Philippines where you are invested and engaged. So I want to talk this morning about an area that we don't talk about very much. It's the, uh, the area of momentum. Just talking about momentum. What does it mean to have momentum in our faith? And what does it mean to impact the momentum in someone else's life? Because that is what you're doing. And uh, I want to talk about that. And important for a couple of reasons. Very often, momentum is important because sometimes in life we get stuck. We just, our faith gets to a place or our life gets to a place and we just get a little stuck. And we just need a little, uh, little boost, a little oomph to get a little further down the track. Or sometimes we have this thing which we could describe only as an intermittent faith where we think about the times we've really sensed God in our lives and it's here and it's here and it's here and tragically sometimes the distance between those times gets longer. And we find out we feel like we're living in this um, intermission. Or maybe for you today the intermission's too long altogether. Maybe sometime back then wherever that might be. Sometime back then, there was an, a, you know, a, a, a vibrant faith, but now it's not so vibrant and it's not so alive and it's not so real. So I want to talk about this thing called momentum. The dictionary defines momentum as a quantity of motion of a moving body measured as a product of its mass and velocity or the impetus gained by a moving object. And the question is, is our faith moving? Is there, is there an impetus that's growing with our faith? That's, that's the question I want to ask us today because it's really important. And momentum, the word, comes from an old Latin word, to move, uh, to, to, to make headway, to go forward, to do that. And it's, it's, we see it in lots of areas. We, we, we discuss it, we talk about it. If you're a, a sports freak like I am, you'll know that teams get momentum. If you're playing football, for example, you get momentum. The ball seems to bounce your way. 
you anticipate where it's going to get to. And other days you don't. But this day, if you've got momentum, the umpire's decisions tend to go your way. Or if you other sports, you take the catches that you would normally drop. And you have this thing called momentum where you just keep, it just bounces your way. It just goes your way. It's, it's a very positive thing. And here's the weird thing about momentum. The funny thing is this. If you have momentum, you actually look better than you are. If you don't have momentum, you actually look worse than you are. That's how it works. Momentum is this, is this process of moving, of, of activity and, and, and vibrancy in us. So I want to talk today about momentum. And I don't want to try and give you five or ten steps to get momentum into your life. I just want to share a couple of thoughts. In fact, three thoughts that for me have been distilling and thinking about for a while now and starting to kind of really get some uh, focus in my own experience and um, know what it's about. And I, I just want to share those thoughts because um, let's take those in because, you know, the scripture says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Um, so if we can learn the sort of things God is saying to us and, and take them on board and allow them to affect our lives and our, our being and our hearts... They will make a difference. So I just want to share some of those thoughts for you. First one's this, there's three of them. Ensure you're living a new covenant faith. That's almost a, such a simple statement, such a, a very simple statement, but it almost sounds too crazy to say, but sometimes we, we live this as believers in Jesus. We, we live this new covenant faith sort of just over the top of an old covenant one. Well, we don't realise the scriptures say, you know, it says this, in, in, in Christ you're a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come, not the new papers over the old, but the old has gone. You're now living a new covenant faith. Let me give you an illustration of this. I want to show you two doors. This door is the door of the Compassion Guatemala main office. It, it doesn't look like an office door, it's... Thick steel, um, it's, you get in by fingerprint recognition, you get inside that and there's another chamber about the size of one of these blocks which is now visual recognition um, where somebody, you're a camera, you're in this little chamber and a camera opens another door just like that inside that somebody inside lets you in. And I said to my counterpart there in Guatemala, how come there's two doors? I mean I can understand the one, why there's two? And he said, well... There's huge gang culture in, in, in Guatemala and he said, if we just have the outside door, then somebody will cut my finger off and put it on the, on the uh, fingerprint recognition and just get in. We have to have two levels of security to get inside. You go inside a beautiful office, but that's the front door. It's cold, it's uninviting, it's harsh, it's, doesn't, it's not warm at all when you look at that door. Second door, I found this place when I was going through the States a couple more, about a year ago now, and it's in Los Angeles. It's on the corner of a road called Figueroa Street and 9th Avenue. It's called the, the Original Pantry Cafe. Um, its doors have not been closed, locked, since 1924 when it opened. It's open 24-7. And when you get there in the morning, I got that photo in the afternoon, it's a bit quieter, in the morning it's lined up, people are lined up around the block, there are um, workers going to work in suits and ties, there are tourists, there are homeless people, there are 
people going to work in tradie vests and high-vis vests and stuff. People just clamour to get in and the doors have never been locked. In fact, there's no keyhole on those doors at all. You can't even lock them. It's warm, it's inviting, it's winsome. Here's the question for you. Which church would you like to be a part of if they represented the church? One that's harsh and tough, hard to get into, uninviting? Or one that's open and inviting and winsome and great to be in? Let me add that, another question to that. Which one of those doors would you want to represent your life? When it comes to God, I'm sort of closed off and I'm hard to get to and no show, no show any vulnerability or any of that sort of stuff. Or, or do I want a life that's more open, and vibrant, faith-filled, inviting, winsome? Is that what sort of life we would like? Well, part of the answer to that question is whether we're living a new covenant life that Jesus brought or an old covenant one, which was kind of the precursor for that. Which are we living? What are we doing? And those are two very different lives, very different worlds. And Jesus brought the second of those, the new covenant. But it wasn't in place until he died. Hebrews says that the new covenant comes has to be a death. It has to be the shedding of blood before a new covenant comes. And so that's what made it very difficult for Jesus because he lived in an old covenant culture still, bringing a new covenant message. That'll get you killed. And it did. So the people who were sort of listening to him are still living in this culture, but he's speaking about a new culture that doesn't come into existence while he's alive. It comes into existence at his death, but now it is in existence. And there are a whole bunch of things that are important for that difference. One of those is now the work of the Spirit in our lives. We now have the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. And, you know, you, you read in the book of Acts, for example, when, when Peter, who all of a sudden realises what's happened and preaches his first sermon and realises that, boy, we've mucked things up and he speaks it out and the people who he speaks it out to start to realise they, they become contrite. They become... They understand now what's happened and what they've done in their lives. They, we read this in, in Acts chapter 2, Therefore that all Israel be assured that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, What do we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off or for whom the Lord our God will call. You see, in an old covenant world, the Spirit came on people for a task. In a new covenant world, the Spirit indwells people for a purpose. It doesn't come on you, He indwells you. He lives within you as a follower of Jesus. Jesus says in other times, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you will know him for he lives with you and will be in you. He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
You see, it's a new world in the, in the new covenant. The Spirit of God will be in you. Now, you don't earn that. You have to do any gymnastics to get that. He will follow Jesus and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says in another place, at the end of a feast, after a week-long feast, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, that anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them, not to within them, from within them, whoever believes in me. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified, he hadn't died, the new covenant hadn't come, Pentecost had not happened. So you need to understand that now, as a follower of Jesus, you have the rivers of living water flowing in you. And the new covenant says, let them flow out. We're not fighting for that. We haven't earned that. It's not something we have to have done some physical or mental gymnastics to get to. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit will live in you. and will be with you forever. That's, that's an extraordinary statement. So now, now we have this resource called the Spirit of God in us, wanting to flow from us. And we need to understand that. That, that will give you a new confidence and a new understanding of how God has equipped you to live. That's really important to grasp. It really, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in all sorts of areas to understand that. So, so for example, um, let me just give you a couple. Worship. Sometimes in worship we give the impression that the, the Holy Spirit is sort of... Um, just flowing around somewhere in the atmosphere, reluctantly wanting to come in, and we have to sort of cajole him to come into our meeting. We have to cajole him to come into worship. No, 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 he lives within us. We have to come here prepared, ready for him to flow out as we worship together. Somebody once said to me, when, you know, when did, it's almost, sometimes we feel we have to coax him down. And the songs we sing will coax him down and the words we say will coax him down. No, he lives within. He needs you to bring him out. Allow him to flow. Remember somebody saying to me once after a church service, gee, when do you think the spirit came this morning? I said, when the first person walked into the door of the church. When the person came in to, to do the rehearsal. When the sound guy walked in. Whoever came first, that's when the spirit came into the church today. Because he lives within and wants to flow out. It's not this coaxing him down. And he's dependent on coaxing down on how well we sing or what songs we sing or how well we do it or how well we perform. No. It, it makes a difference to our giving. You know, old covenant giving has a princ principle of tithing. The obligation was law. In new covenant giving, the, the, the obligation is grace and generosity and the amount is all. <laughs> we sang it. Give you my all. It's not, about, it's not about just a proportion. It's about all we have in, as new covenant people belong to you. We've got to be generous in all areas. And why that's so important is, I, I don't know about you, but I've met people who are religiously generous. And what I mean by that is they, they might tithe week after week after week, which is a good thing to do. 
but they wouldn't buy your coffee. They wouldn't buy your feed. They're generous religiously, but not in life. And the Spirit of God living within us will make us generous in life, not just certain times, certain places. It all belongs to him. question is, what do we keep for ourselves, not what do we give to him? When we understand that the, we're new covenant people, it changes the way we live. When we realise we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us as rivers of living water wanting to flow out, it changes the way we live. First thought, just ensure that you are, we're new covenant people, not living old covenant life. Second thought just is this. Well, let me give you one more scripture. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and he is, then he who raised Christ from the dead will give life, vibrancy to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. He lives in you. We've got to get that. He lives in you. I spent the first couple of years of my life trying to work out how to get the spirit. No one told me he lived in me as a follower of Jesus. People put me through all sorts of gymnastics and thoughts and etc. But the Spirit of God, He'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, He says. The second thought is this stop looking for momentum elsewhere. Momentum is within you. Sometimes in church world, in Christian world, we're looking for where the Spirit is working around about the world. But he's working in you. We're looking for where the movement is and the movement can be in you. I pastored three churches for uh, 30 years of my life and loved it. But sometimes in church I kind of felt like my spiritual GPS was in the wrong place because there was another church up the road where God seemed to be working more powerfully than my church. Or there'd be somewhere overseas where God is working. You know, you could look through the age, some, somehow God's working um, in California. I remember when the vineyard movement was so big and that's where God's moving. Or God's moving in Toronto. Or God's moving in Pensacola. Or God's moving in Chicago. Or God's moving in the northeastern suburbs of, northwestern suburbs of Sydney. And God has moved in those places and that's fantastic to learn but we sort of thought that that's where the movement of God is. The movement of God is here. The movement of God is you. The movement of God is me. That's where the momentum is. It's in you and me. That's important to grasp. God's doing some great things all over the world. But the trouble is when people say that's where the move of God is, it makes me passive sitting back waiting for the move of God in me and God has already moved. And God wants to move even more. And those rivers of living water that are deep inside, God wants them to come out in the area and the place where we live. You are God's movement in Murray Bridge. Each one of us is that. Each one of you. There's churches, other churches, where the Spirit of God is active and alive. You're the movement. I, I don't want to cause anyone any grief but in my 43 I became a Christian two years after I was married my wife and I became Christians in the same week different times which we were incredibly grateful for but uh, in, in the 40 odd years now that I've been a Christian um, I, there's people praying for revival 
in, in different places. And I understand that. I understand wanting to see that. Praying for a move of God. Pr- pr- praying for a visitation from heaven. And I fully understand that. You look at some of the histories of, of revival. But let me tell you this. There is no greater visitation from heaven than that we've already had. If you think there's something in heaven greater than Jesus, you're mistaken. He's the greatest thing in heaven. And sometimes we, we're praying like there's something greater than that still waiting for us to come. He's come. He will come again. We'll meet him one day in glory. He's given us his spirit to move and act now. You're the move of God. I'm the move of God. God has worked to bring that into our lives. It's really important we grab that. Otherwise, we we end up being passive Christians. There are some people whom God really works in and there are others he doesn't. And I'll just sit back and watch those others be the move of God. No, 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 no. You are the move of God. The Spirit of God works in you. He's living in you as rivers of living water. Really important that we grasp that. Third thought is this, and it's my third thought for this day, and it's going to sound a little strange to say it to start with, but realise that you are more important in the work of God and His momentum than you think. Realise that you're more important than you think. Let me try and explain that to you in a couple of ways. This morning as I speak, you hear two voices. You hear two voices. You, you, hear, you hear what I say, but you also hear what you say about what I say. See what I mean? You hear what I say, but you also hear what you say about what I say. So I say something, and then you say to yourself, I've got to think about that more. I'm not sure if I believe that character up the front. I'm going to ask him in the foyer something. You say what about what you say, whatever I, uh, you speak about what I say. And that's okay. As long as you realise what you say about what I say is more powerful than what I say. It is. It is. Because you say, I believe that, I'm going to do something about that. That's powerful. Not because I say it, because you say it about what I say. Does that make sense? Cool. See, that's important. What you say about what I say. But here's the thing. We do the same with God. God says something and then you say something about what God says. And what you say about what God says becomes more important than what God says. So God says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you say, you don't know my enemies, God. You don't know who they are. You don't know how hard they are to love. You don't know how hard they are to pray for. So I'm not going to. I'm not going to pray for my enemies. See, what you say about what God says is more important to you than what God says. I wish it weren't, and most of the time, hopefully, it agrees. Most of the time, it it converges and it's the same. That's great. But where it conflicts, what you say about what God says holds sway in your life more than what God says, usually. Does that make sense? It plays a bigger part than you think. You play a bigger part than you think. You play a bigger part in the work of God than you think you do in your life. 
Let me tell you one more story, and it's a, it's a story from the Gospels. It's a story you find in Luke 7. I'm not going to throw it up there. I'm not going to read it to you. Read a little bit of it in a minute. But it's a story of a centurion whose servant is sick, sick towards dying. And um, this, this servant is terminally ill, and he asks the elders. So this guy's not a, an Israeli person. He's you know, usually a, a Roman or a Greek, in this case a Roman. And, and, and he, he knows the elders of the, of the place. He knows the Jewish elders. And he asks the elders to go and get Jesus to come and pray for his sick servant. So there's a sort of God-fearedness about him and he kind of gets that and he goes to ask the elders and the elders go and Jesus, to this point in time, has done amazing work. He's healed the sick, he's um, cast out demons, he's done an amazing amount and I'm sure this guy's heard about that if he hasn't seen it. So now that his servant's sick, he, he sends the elders to go and get Jesus and then it's an amazing story. This twist happens where Jesus is coming towards his house but before he gets there, the centurion sends out a message saying, don't bother to come because I know you can heal there. You just say the word. You know, I'm, a, you know, I'm under authority and I understand it and you're under authority and you just got to say the word and he'll be healed before he gets to the house, before he gets near the person. And so Jesus hears this and he stops his entourage because there's always an entourage with him when he's going on these times. He stops his entourage and we read this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So the centurion sends other people out to say, don't come. Jesus gets the message, don't come. He said, I, you know, I'm under authority and I understand what that's like and you're under authority, we understand what that's like. So don't come. So he stops the whole troop. He says, I've never found faith like this in all Israel. And that's just after Jesus healed lots of people. He's encouraged people in their faith. And I start to think to myself, what is it about this man... What is it about him that causes Jesus to say, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel when he's already done a whole bunch of stuff? People have been laid down through roofs because friends believed and trusted. What is it about this man that caused that to be? Not easy to understand, but here's what I think it is. This is the first time Jesus has been trusted to heal someone when he wasn't physically present with them. How important is that for us? How important is that for us? This is the first time someone has trusted Jesus and said, well, I know you can heal even though you're not here. I'm going to trust you to do that when you're not here. And Jesus says, I've never seen faith like this before because every time something's happened to this point of time, he's been there on site. But now he's not on site. Is I trust you to do it. Never seen faith like this in all of Israel. In other words, this man is being involved very much so 
in the work of God by trusting when God's not there to be seen. How often do we find ourselves in that situation where God is not there to be seen but we trust him to do something when he's not there to be seen. You are more important in the work of God than you think you are when you trust him. You're more important than you think you are. I mean, who would have thought people would get healed by standing in Peter's shadow? God didn't think that plan up. People did. Freaky, isn't it? Who would have thought people would get healed by touching Paul's handkerchief? God didn't tell them to do that. They did it. And God honoured it some way. It's not a new theology. Don't make it a hanky theology or, or some new doctrine. It's not that at all. But people trusted God in ways that were amazing or extraordinary. They were, more, they were more important in the work of God than they thought they would be. The same is true for you and me. Because the opposite or the, the anti to that is to sit back and just wait for God to work. And we can sit passive all our lives when there are people out there who need Jesus. When there are people in there who need a touch of God. When there are people in here who need a touch of God. When we need to see the momentum of God working in our own lives and the lives of others. Believe you are more important in the work of God than you think you are and his momentum for your life. Let me just summarise for you. We we need to live a, a new covenant faith. Faith that trusts faith that makes a difference, faith that's new, faith that cost Jesus his life. We need to stop looking for the movement of God somewhere else and trust that it's moving in me. Trust that he's moving in me by his spirit. We need to believe that we are more important in his life than you think. Let me read you a scripture that we quote all so often, and it's a great scripture. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine... We love that bit, we quote that bit, we usually stop there. And then it says this, according to his power that is at work, where? Within us. He's able to do more than we can imagine, think, be amazed at, because of the power, because he's at work within us. Not out there, within us. You are more important in the work of God than you think. You may be here and you've lost some momentum. You may be here and you've lost some sense of forward movement in your faith. You might be here in the, the intermission between God working in your life that, that's obvious to you is so long. Maybe you haven't understood that God dwells within you. He just wants to, flesh, to, to flow out. He just wants to flow. If you're a follower of Jesus, he just wants to flow out. He wants you to get involved in that and do it. You don't have to be stuck. It's the movement of his life in us. The other thing I'd say is this, and you're not going to be surprised that I would say this, but you can change the momentum for other people. Just by the work of God in you, you can change the momentum for other people. In my world, you can change the momentum of the life of a child and their family. You can change that momentum forever. People get stuck in poverty. If poverty was just about economics, you'd just throw money at it. 
And it's simple. It's not that easy. Poverty says to someone, and I think children in poverty are the most vulnerable in the world, poverty says to a child, you don't matter. No one cares about you. You've got no hope. You've got no opportunity. Don't have any dreams because they won't be fulfilled. It just robs people of their dignity and their hope. As God changes the momentum in your life, you can change the momentum in other people's life. And you can do that today. I love the fact that in this body of people, there are 50 kids now. Sponsor, wouldn't it be great if that just grew and grew and grew? Wouldn't it be great the impact you make just grew? And today it can. On, on your seats, I think when you came in, there were photos of a little guy called Thierry Bayengiro. I don't think I said that right. But there are more kids in, in the Philippines who have needs and you can make a difference today. You can change the momentum and the life of a family and a child well. I, uh, you know, sometimes we, we, it, the issue of poverty gets so big. Here's a, a thought for you. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. We wish, I wish, we could change poverty for everyone. But I can't, and you can't, but do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And that'll make a difference. That'll change your life. That'll impact. And I, I want to encourage you to kind of, Nancy will be on the desk with others when you get outside. Just rush them off, rush them off their feet. Make a difference. Change your life because yours has been changed. Let's make a deal. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you for the life of hope and impact you give us. Father, I want to thank you that you have, those of us who've chosen to follow Jesus, have your spirit living within us as a river of living water, wanting to get out, wanting to flow out. Not wanting to just sit inside and tumble around, but to go out and make a difference. Father, I pray for those this morning who might be stuck, that we get unstuck. That we realize that you, by your Spirit, dwell within us. And you've given us a movement and a, and a vibrancy in our life that we may not be experiencing right now. But that's the life you've called us to. And Father, I pray today that you will use the lives in this place to change the momentum in the lives of people, particularly in the Philippines. Father, I thank you for those kids who have already received hope from people here. What a blessing. Father, I pray there will be many more today who find hope and purpose because people in here see the rivers of living water flowing out of them and changing the momentum in someone else's life. God, it's up to you. It's your work but you call us and we're more important in your work than we think we are. Touch us today, Lord God, and change lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.